All right, good to see you this morning. If you would, go ahead and take your Bible and go to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. Um, This morning we're just going to read a variety of passages in Hebrews for a reason. Um, I'll explain that more as we get to it. Um, But let's do this. Let's just, we'll have a word of prayer first, get started. And uh, because this morning is going to be, going to be kind of just introductory to some things with Hebrews. And I have something to give you as well. So let's pray and then we'll take care of those things. Maybe that'll give a couple minutes for everybody to kind of get settled down again too, and uh, then we can start, all right? So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and we do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Hebrews reminds us, uh, again, of the superior superiority of the Lord Jesus to anything and everything, we just uh, thank you for him and thank you that we can have we can, we can be right with you we can have a relationship with you through him and obviously that's the only way that's possible but uh, help us to be more appreciative of not just of that fact but also of what's involved in that uh, as a result of as we study the book of Hebrews over the next while and uh, we pray that you would just, again, work in each of our hearts, each of our lives, help us this morning, and um, just uh, help me to use the time wisely as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I got something to give you, and um, obviously, um, should be enough for one for everybody, um, Obviously, visual aids, everybody learns differently, you know, some people learn best by hearing, some by seeing, and some by hands-on, and all that kind of stuff, so uh, as many things, I guess, as you can interact with, it probably helps, and so we're going to do our best to incorporate some of that stuff uh, as we look at the book of Hebrews, and really, this is, I'm not going to say it's going to be the only one, but this is kind of just a, a, what I gave you is, is an overview. It gives a little bit of background, and then there's an outline of the book of Hebrews in, included in that that will be kind of the basis of our study. Uh, as we look at this book, it's been a long time. I'd have to do the math exactly, but it's been a while since I've taught the book of Hebrews, and... So I was uh, going back and just trying to update uh, materials that I have and everything. And if you looked carefully, if you do look carefully at the outline there, you'll notice it's front heavy, which is because uh, as the week went on and then as last evening went on, I got, you know, ran out less and less time, you know. So anyway, the, the last parts of that are not as detailed. Uh, but anyway, that'll get filled in over the next number of weeks as we look at the book of Hebrews. I mean, Hebrews is a, is a unique book, really is. Um, it's, it's, uh, there's some things common to it that's common to every other book in the New Testament, 
you could say that really the whole Bible is about the Lord Jesus in a way, um, uh, but the book of Hebrews is especially a book about the Lord Jesus. Now, there are other New Testament books that that could be said for as well. Um, however, the book of Hebrews has kind of a unique approach and a, a unique view, if you want to say, of the Lord Jesus that the other New Testament books don't take, at least not nearly in the same depth that Hebrews does, and that is of the Lord Jesus as our great high priest. The book of Hebrews emphasizes that more than any other book uh, in the Bible, uh, for sure. Um, but Hebrews is, is a wonderful book, and it's all about the Lord Jesus, but again, it's, it's presenting him in a different fashion than most of the rest of the Bible. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of statements that you can make that could be true, you know, and, and I mean, if, if you read various things, you'll come across all kinds of statements and, and so on, but, but one that is certainly true, okay, uh, for Hebrews, and we're going to use this in a number of ways in our study, is that Jesus is better, all right? Uh, I mean, and in the book of Hebrews, I don't have a list of this necessarily in, in that fashion in the handout that you got, but Jesus is compared. There are numbers of things that pop up in the book of Hebrews or persons and, and things that Jesus is compared to to show that Jesus is superior, that he is, he's better. He's the only way uh, that anybody can be right with God. And it's almost as if, in a way, God led the writer of Hebrews to kind of just pick all these various things as comparisons, all right? Uh, for instance, in the very first verses of the book of Hebrews, the first portion that we're going to read uh, here this morning, uh, you'll see that Jesus is shown to be better than the prophets. I mean, what did the prophets do, all right? The prophets spoke for God. They revealed God's word uh, to people, but Jesus revealed God and God's word in a way that the prophets couldn't even touch, all right, uh, obviously. And so let's do this. I'll read first here this morning just for this, this sake. And what I want to do, there, we have a, I've, I've got a number of passages, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to where we're taking turns to read, but um, I'll read these, these first four verses of the book of Hebrews, and then I'll, I'll mention some other passages, and if we can get to them, and then I'll let you all just read those in, in succession then, all right? But Hebrews starts out this way. It's, there, it's not a typical introduction like you see in most, you know, New Testament books. Uh, it just kind of gets right into it here. But uh, Hebrews 1, verse 1, the Bible says, God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed, heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high being made so much better, notice that word, all right, so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So we'll stop our reading for right now, right there. Um, and just, just in those first four verses, you see at least two comparisons. Uh, you see that 
uh, you know, it begins by saying, God spoke in time past by the prophets, but now he's spoken by his son. And if you compare the Old Testament prophets, as thankful as we ought to be for them, and, and, and all, I mean, and as great as they were as far as what they did and how they helped God's people, I mean, they don't hold a candle to the Lord Jesus, obviously. Jesus came, and, you know, the question could be asked, why did Jesus become, a, why did he come? Why did he come to the earth and do all that he did? Well, and, and a lot of people automatically say, well, he did that so he could do what was necessary to provide salvation. And that is true. That's a very true answer. But if you want to get down to it, the answer to why he came is, is far more than just that. All right? There's a lot of things. All right? And, and one of the things that the book of John, Gospel of John, uh, emphasizes about Jesus' coming to this earth was he came to reveal the Father. He came to reveal God, to show man who God is and what God is like. And if you look at Jesus, you can see exactly what God is like, uh, and, and, and he came and did that. Uh, but then you see also in these verses, you see down in verse 4, being made so much better than what? Than the angels, all right? So you'd see another comparison here. But what I'm getting at and just laying some of that out right now is you'll see that throughout the book of Hebrews, all right? Jesus is demonstrated as being better. He's, he's superior to any and any, anyone, anything uh, that anybody, any argument that anybody could make, okay, that's the idea. And Hebrews presents this in a way, now the book is called the book of, you know, the epistle, and if your Bible's like mine, it says at the heading, the epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Hebrews. We'll get more to that, uh, the Paul aspect in just a bit, but to the Hebrews, all right? Other books would say the epistle of, say, Paul the Apostle to the Galatians, for instance, all right? Now, most of these titles of these, these books are associated with who the book is written to, who it's addressed to. Now, you don't see any, uh, if you want to say, formal address given to the book of Hebrews, all right? So why, why has it been called Hebrews? Well, it's obvious that the emphasis throughout Hebrews is it's written to address people that uh, are relying on the Old Testament, all right? Uh, the Hebrew people particularly, all right? Uh, I don't think it's limited. You know, it's only, you know, has any good for, for Jewish people, but uh, obviously not. But, but that's, that's certainly the emphasis. We'll talk more about that here uh, momentarily. <coughs> excuse, <coughs> excuse me. I apologize. I'm, uh, there's a lot of crud going around, obviously. And uh, I guess I'm part of it, but anyway. Uh, but Hebrews, in, again, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful book, okay? And hopefully you'll, if you don't already have that, that appreciation for it, hopefully you will uh, by the time that we're done. Now, um, one of the challenges that I always face, okay, in, in teaching something, particularly something like this, is... Uh, how involved to get, okay? Uh, I mean, I, I enjoy getting very detailed and so on, all right? Uh, some of you probably do as well. Some probably don't, all right? I understand everybody's different in that, all right? But one thing that I have uh, strived to do, and I think that I've gotten better at it over the years, is 
trying to present some things in a way that really, if you, if you look at it, it can be very simple, okay? And I wanna, I'm gonna give you an example of that. And by the way, that's my goal, okay, with the book of Hebrews, all right? Um, there, we're, you know, there's no way we're gonna study every detail of everything that's presented in the book of Hebrews unless we take years to do it, okay? Because honestly, it would, it would take that long. Um, uh, so we're, we're not gonna be doing that, but also, you know, we don't wanna just gloss over everything either, all right? So trying to find the right balance in there is the goal, but at the same time, again, I think that you can think about the book of Hebrews. I've always, uh, I say always, I've, I at least now and have come to this and, and so on, I think, you ought to be able to think about a book of the Bible, all right? And, of course, Hebrews is this. I'm going to give you another example uh, here just momentarily and be able to just think, of, okay, if somebody says a book of the Bible, and you ought to be able to think about that book and kind of think through it what it's talking about in a, in a, in a somewhat simple way. Let me give you an example here. My son's not here this morning. Um, if he were... Hopefully, he would remember this, okay, because uh, this is something he was exposed to before, but um, it's not the easiest to get around here with all the things, but let me give you one example, and I'm going to try to do this quick, and and just to show you, this is what we're going to try to do with the book of Hebrews, okay? Book of Genesis, all right? What do you think of when you think of the book of Genesis? Now, don't answer that right now, because we could take a lot of time talking about everybody's answers to that. But Genesis, obviously, is a book of beginnings, okay? That's kind of what the the name implies and so on. Um, But Genesis, 50 chapters. Genesis is a pretty long book, really is. So how would you you present in in a real simplistic way what Genesis teaches? Or even maybe you could say remember what Genesis, you know, the content of the book of Genesis. Genesis is, is... Simple, if you, if, you try to, if you put it in, in simple, big blocks, okay? So think of this. Genesis, um, the first 12 chapters, or first 11 chapters, we'll say. Uh, first 11 chapters, if you remember four words, you can think through the content of Genesis 1 through 11. And I'm not going to take time, well, maybe I should, but four words, all right? Because there are four events that really, those first 11 chapters, that's what they're about. And these are big, important things. But you have creation, you have the fall, you have the flood, and then you have Babel. Now, there's not necessarily equal content, you know, given to each one, but those are the four main things that everything in Genesis 1 through 11 falls under in reality, all right? The rest of the book of Genesis, chapter 12 through 50, you could sum that up with four names, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, all right? And everything in those remaining chapters, that's what, 40, uh, 39 chapters there, uh, falls under really the main heading of what one of those names, of what, as far as what the book's talking about, all right? I'm just giving you an example here of that. We're going to try to do the same thing with the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to try to give you that present that to you this morning, right? So if you think about it in big blocks like that, you can then remember those big ideas, then you can fill in details under each of those, okay? So Hebrews, what's Hebrews all about? Now, 
if I can do this right here. Tell me. Okay. Do I have to do something or you're doing it? Okay. We'll get this down. And hopefully after today. Hopefully after today, we'll uh, I'll have I'll put notes in PowerPoints a little bit better to see than Word. I just didn't have time to do it this morning. But when you think of the Book of Hebrews, okay, there's really three main words that everything in the Book of Hebrews can fall under, as far as like an overview, okay. And the first one is think of the word person. All all three of these are going to begin with P. Uh, the out, and these are all found in that outline that's included in the papers that you have. There's just more details included with them, all right? But you have, you have the person, and what these are talking about is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously, who he is. The first four chapters of the book of Hebrews, the main emphasis is who Jesus is, all right? His person, and un, again, under the idea that Jesus is better, he is... He's the only one that anybody can rely on, and why? Well, because of who he is, all right? The first chapter talks about his deity. The second chapter emphasizes humanity. In chapter 3, the emphasis could be said to be his faithfulness. He was faithful to everything that he was sent to do, and he accomplished it all. And there's nobody else that can, that can be said of, by the way. And there's some comparisons made there. In fact, in chapter 3, he's compared to Moses, would you say Moses was faithful to God? Everybody would say, yes, he was. But when you get down to the nitty gritty of it, Moses was commissioned by God to personally lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. Moses was faithful compared to most men, yes, but he didn't 100% faithfully obey what God said. None of us do with one exception, of course, and that's the Lord Jesus, all right? But first, first four chapters of the book of Hebrews emphasize the superior person of the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? The next, uh, whatever that is, six chapters, basically chapters 5 through 10, present the superior priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this is where Hebrews is far different than the rest of the New Testament, because it gives us details of the Lord Jesus and his high priestly work that other books really don't even ever touch on. Uh, and so you have the priesthood of the Lord Jesus, his superior priesthood. Because of that, he's superior, he's better, all right? And we'll, we'll get back to that in just a second. The third main word, if you think about these words, and it's not too hard to remember these three words, person, priesthood, and principle, all right? But principle... The idea is the last chapters of Hebrews, the emphasis there is the superior principle concerning the Lord Jesus, and that is faith in Him and Him alone. That's, that's the emphasis of those, all right? And again, these are general ideas, but if you think of these, if you can remember these three words, 
Uh, even if for now you don't remember all the numbers that go with them, 1 through 4, 5 through 10, 11 through 13. But if you remember these three words, because we're going to be repeating these and looking at these over and over again, it helps you just in, in a glance, in your mind. You can think through, okay, this is, what, this is what Hebrews is talking about, all right? And so the person of Christ, emphasizing his deity, his humanity, and his faithfulness. And then his priesthood. Really, chapter 5 gives what I would call a synopsis or a summary of his priesthood. But then in chapter 7, the, the source, and again, I'm keeping them alliterated. Sometimes that's helpful, sometimes it's not, perhaps. But uh, so think of S's here, all right? But the source, really, in other words, for somebody to be a legitimate priest, there has to be a, a that, that comes from something, right? So in the Old Testament, who was the priest? Aaron and then his sons, but why was, it, why was it right that Aaron was the priest? Where did that come from? Who authorized that? God did, all right? So there has to be some kind of uh, source for that to come from, and we'll see that the Lord Jesus, he has a superior uh, priesthood because of his source as well. And we'll see that he's a priest, that's chapter 7 where it really talks about him being a priest after the order of Melchizedek, all right? And so on. And then the script, again, uh, sometimes, sometimes it's almost shameful to be uh, alliterating. But anyway, the script, the idea of that is, okay, in the Old Testament, there, were, there was a covenant given. All right? In fact, there's numerous covenants given. But the New Testament speaks of, and Jesus himself spoke of, a new covenant. All right? And in chapter Eight predominantly, and, and you'll see references in other chapters to these things, but again, we're talking about main emphasis here. All right, in chapter 8, you'll see a new covenant that's talked about, that is the covenant, Jesus is the priest after that covenant. All right, D, the sanctuary, all right, in the Old Testament, where, where, what was established for Aaron and his sons and that to do their service in? There was a tabernacle established, right? Now, in the book of Hebrews, we're told that that tabernacle that was established in the Old Testament was simply a, it was, it was done after the pattern of a real tabernacle or the true tabernacle, which is in heaven, all right? And that is the tabernacle that Jesus serves in, as his pre, in his priesthood, all right? So again, his priesthood superior because of where he serves, in the sanctuary in heaven. And then the sacrifice. What were the sacrifices in the Old Testament? Many, right? And all of them had a specific reason and picture and, and so on. But ultimately, all right, what is what all of that pointed to something and were foreshadows of what Christ would do, his sacrifice. His sacrifice was what? Himself. All right? And so again, you 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 see these these big ideas, all right, that are presented here just in, in trying to get an overview of thinking through the book. And then the principle, again, there's about four or five main exhortations that are given in those remaining chapters of why we should put our faith in and keep our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Now that said, scattered throughout Hebrews, there are five what people call severe warning passages. And the book of Hebrews, by the way, is, is used by some people in, in teaching some false doctrine, all right? 
Mostly it's these warning passages that are referred to, and it's a misunderstanding of these, taken out of context and so on like that. But there are five warning passages that are given in the book of Hebrews, and the reason is to warn people not to turn back, not to turn from Christ, all right? That's the idea, all right? But there's five of those in there. There's, there's actually uh, two in the first portion, uh, one in the, in the middle portion and two in the, uh, in the last portion there of Hebrews. But if you can remember these three words, you can, you can, again, think of the big ideas that the book of Hebrews presents. And then you can, you can think through that. You can fill in the details then as you, as you learn and as you can. All right. But Hebrews not only presents the Lord Jesus uh, as superior, but it clearly states that God has made a change in the method of man's worship with Christ. Because Jews would argue, I mean, God gave us the law. He gave us the Old Testament priesthood. He gave us, you know, all this stuff. And that's true. Right? So what right do, you know, you Christians have to tell us this? Well, you realize the book of Hebrews clearly teaches that God made a change in the law and in the priesthood. In fact, if somebody would, somebody turn to uh, chapter 7, chapter 7 and read verse 12, just snippet there. All right, pastor. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. All right, now that, that's in a context, of course, but just, just see the statement. There's been, God changed some things, and that's, you know, God has done that throughout history. God has, uh, you know, he God does not presently deal with everybody the way he did at day one, all right? Uh, you know, um, there's different words that are used in different things, dispensations, all right, for instance, you know. Uh, God has, has introduced things, and then later he gives more light, more knowledge, and so on, more information, and, and, all, and it's not necessarily that it makes what was given before wrong, right? But it builds upon what was given before. And the same thing's true here. Everything in the Old Testament, all right, that God ordained that Moses, you know, that was incorporated into the law of Moses, as, as we commonly call it, all right, it was for a reason. It was there to teach. It was there uh, to, you know, to help, all right? And as long as they were, uh, you know, well, let me, let me say it this way too. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. Always has been by grace through faith. Now, what does that mean? Well, by grace means, okay, grace is God helping, right? It's God helping man. Salvation has always been through God's help that he has provided to man because man cannot and never has been able to save himself since Adam sinned. Right? What's the first, uh, the first light that we have in the Bible of that? Right? Genesis 3, all right? after Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? I mean, God came and confronted them and so on, but then it tells us there in verse 20 of Genesis 3 that God clothed them with coats of skins. Now, it's kind of a simple statement there, but there's a whole lot more to what was involved there than what Genesis even really mentions. 
In fact, other places in the Bible later come back and fill some of those details in for us. All right? But the bottom line is, obviously, some animals died as a result of Adam's sin. And there was bloodshed. All right? In Genesis 4, then, we clearly see that it was God's design that man was to approach him with blood, the blood of an innocent substitute. Right? And again, then, then you see later on, as, more, as we have more of the Bible and more history unfolds and God gives more light and information, you see that being expanded, built upon, more information given. But salvation has always been, by grace, God's provided a way, right? He's, he's helped man because man needs God's help. And it's been by faith, through faith, it's always man's response to what God has said, all right? Now, different people say different things about, you know, trying to fill that in, but for, for sake of right now, let me just say that today we have all the information that, you know, God's given man in his word, and there is absolutely no excuse today for anybody to say, you know, we were in the dark, we didn't know. We have God's word. We, have, we, we know that Christ has fulfilled everything and we can only be saved through personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ specifically. All right? But salvation, the principle of it, it's always been by grace through faith. And that faith is based on what God has told man at the time. Okay? Now, again, that's, we have a lot more information now than people had 3,000 years ago, okay? Just to throw that number out there for whatever reason. But uh, the Old Testament system was only a foreshadow of everything that Christ would do, what he would come and do and fulfill and so on. All those sacrifices, I mean the Passover, the Day of Atonement, and all the other things, all right, in that Mosaic system, Everything had some kind of picture of Jesus, who he is, and what he would do. And Hebrews 10, by the way, points that out. It uses that exact wording that the law was a foreshadow of things to come. It was, it was like if, if, uh, if right now there's shadows out here. So if Pastor Brinker was to, and I'm standing here, and Pastor Brinker was to walk out that door, the sun's coming, shining that way. If he walked out the door and I didn't personally see him, I would see his shadow right there, right? And I might get an idea, okay, somebody's coming, something's there. I might not know exactly all the details of, of you know, what he looks like, who he is, all that, but I could see there's something coming. There's a, there's a shadow there cast that tells me something. It's limited, yeah, but it does tell me something. And that's the idea of what all the Old Testament system was. It was a, a foreshadow of Jesus, of all that Christ would do. All right? and so, and, but the book of Hebrews elaborates on that and fills in a lot of those details for us regarding that Old Testament system versus now Christ and what he's done. Okay, so, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> so that, that is in... I, Again, I, I think it's a pretty simplistic way to think about it. And the more that you learn of Hebrews and that, you can fill in all the details under that. 
But if you can remember those three words, so what were those three words? Person, priesthood, third one's on the board still, principle, all right? And again, now if you just think of those words, obviously uh, they may not make sense until you learn more of the details, but the person of Christ, who he is, the priesthood, what he did, all right, what he fulfilled, what he did, and then the principle, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So let's, let's do this. Let's, let's just to kind of, and I picked these passages, you know, maybe if you were doing this, you would pick different passages, okay? Uh, but since I'm the one doing this right now, I picked these passages. But let's, let's read some passages just to get some flow of the ideas of what Hebrews is going to talk about, all right? I read 1, 1 through 4. Let's go to chapter 2. Chapter 2, and if somebody can read verse, let's see, I guess we'll just, if, if everybody's okay with reading, we'll just start here with, with Pastor, and we'll just go around the normal way when, when, when it comes back around and he reads, then we just go right back over there, skip me, okay? So, verse 9, and then verse 17 and 18. So, let's go ahead. Start But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Wherefore, in all things, it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful, faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the Wherein that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. All right. Chapter 5, verse 1. Actually, let's read the first six verses of chapter 5. So that's where we'll start that one. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? For that he himself also is to pass for infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for this people, so also for himself to offer for sin. And no man taketh his honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. All right, now chapter 7, verses 11 through 16. Chapter 7, verses 11 through 16. If therefore perfection required a Levitical priesthood, for under it he received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also in the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there ariseth another priest. Who is made not after the law of the 
Carl commit to Minton. But after the power of the endless life. All right, now chapter 9, verses 19 through 28. In fact, actually, it's chapter 9, verse 19 through chapter 10, verse 10. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. <coughs> and almost all the things are by the Lord with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of, of things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest entered into, into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared and put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as he was appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices, for sin thou hast, for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast there pleasure within, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. All right, uh, jump down to chapter 11. And if you would, read the first six verses of chapter 11, 1 through 6. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtain a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated, but he did not see death, 
and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. All right, let's jump over to chapter 12, first two verses. Chapter 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, seeing we have, therefore, seeing we also are compressed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily deceit us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. All right, then uh, chapter 12 down to verse 22, 22 through 24. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better than things than things than that. All right, chapter 13, verse 5. John. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath not for, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. All right, now down to verse 17, chapter 13, 17 through 25. Um, chapter 13, 17? Yes. Okay. Obey them that have rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, and they that must give account, and that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience, and all things willingly do good upon us. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace that brought us again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in few words. Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he come shortly, I will see you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. All right. Probably all the verses that we read are verses that you've heard, you know, and so on. But I think, and one of the reasons I wanted to do this, particularly after showing you this kind of an outline, is... You know, sometimes we, we isolate things and we think, we think okay, because this, this verse is emphasized or read often, all of it fits into a context, all right? And it's not, these aren't just like a random list of, you know, unrelated sayings and verses. All of this is a letter, it's a book of the Bible that was written 
by God, all right, through a human instrument, but for the purpose of demonstrating that ultimately we must trust Christ because who he is and what he's done. And everything in Hebrews fits into that, all right? And it has that reason. Now, that's not necessarily meaning there's not times that you take a portion of that and, and emphasize something specific about that, but it all fits into a big picture. That's, that's what I'm getting at, all right? And, and um, you know, that's, that's the goal that I have anyway over the next how many ever weeks it is we look at this, that we, we understand that, all right? And let's look at this in the way, it, you know, the purpose that God gave it. This is what it, it is, and this is what it fits in. And by the way, that, that also <laughs> pertains to if we, you know, look at some of those so-called controversial passages that people uh, use, and Hebrews has several of them that people use, say, to teach that you can lose your salvation and so on, which obviously is not true because of all that the Bible teaches. And so if Hebrews is truly the Word of God, part of the Word of God, he's not going to contradict himself there when he makes it clear throughout his Word that that's the case, okay? So, uh, so what I'm getting at is most of the time when you look at passages like that in the bigger picture and in their context, it makes far more sense, okay? Uh, and, and, you know, Hebrews 3, Hebrews 6, for instance, these are passages that people use to say, well, you can lose your salvation. See this, what this says here? It's just like in Galatians uh, 5, I think it's Galatians 5, 4, where, where the statement, you're fallen from grace, appears, right? And people use that statement and say, well, that means you can lose your salvation. They're, they're ignoring the, the whole verse that it appears in because what it says is, if you're justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. And that's exactly what the verse says, all right? So the only way you can fall from grace is to be justified by keeping the law. And nobody can do that, all right? So nobody's fallen from grace, okay, because nobody can keep the law, all right? I'm just using that as an example. Same principle in other places, okay? Um, but we're out of time, so we're going to stop there. But I, I, again, I, I, I wanted to take the time to put that together for you, the handout that you have, because uh, I think there, there's a lot of helpful information in there. And uh, we're not necessarily going to park on all of those details like who wrote uh, Hebrews and so on. I might give you my opinion next time or something. But in, in reality, that's all it is because the book does not specifically say who wrote it. Okay? And, and people can, I know people that are so adamant about, well, I had to be, you know. It really doesn't matter because it ultimately goes back to God. Okay? Now, which man he used to pen it, that's his business, number one. Okay? I'm not saying it's, you know, it, it, there's no benefit to trying to see reasons why, okay? But, uh, you know, again, hopefully, hopefully uh, again, you see the idea that if you can, you can get these big markers, you can fill in the details to whatever extent you can, but it helps you understand the big picture, and that's what we're, we're trying to trying to do. All right, so let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this wonderful portion of your word. The book of Hebrews help us to uh, not just learn it, but it, be able to appreciate it and, and use it in our lives to help others and help us uh, grow and be closer to you as a result of having studying it over these next while. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.